And welcome back to Into the Black Archive, where we're here to steal your brain. Well, hey, hello, and here's James. Welcome back. Yeah. In theory, <laughs> if I've managed to get built up a, a regular schedule again, which I definitely haven't yet, um, they'll be coming back after a week. They'll be coming back into our, into our arms so we can lovingly embrace them and then steal their minds. Theoretically, perhaps. It's sort of... I think it assumes that people are binging the podcast, which, if you are, that's great. But it, it feels assumptive to say welcome back. It's more, you know, welcome to the new listeners and hello to the old ones. And we're going to rob your mind. Because well, that's the important thing. We're also going to rob your mind. But that happens all the time here. Because we're discussing the mind robber. Well, hey. Season six, episode, well, story two um, of season six is the mind robber. It's a five-parter, and it fucks the head. It is back with the um, five-parters. I'm still not convinced I like the five-parter storyline, or if it, we've just had a string of questionable stories, which are five-parters. Mm, no, we said we we did say last week that um, the five-parter felt like an odd kind of mix between things. Yeah, because we've gone from having like strictly even numbers with a few exceptions of like the Daleks. We had one last season which was seven parters, I think. Yeah, I think we did. And the Edge of Destruction. But now we're just getting rid of the even number kind of layout and we're going into five parters. Because. Yeah. And this one here is a bit of an odd one because it kind of feels like the story starts and ends in that fifth episode in, in like in an actual progression sense i agree and yet i still have to tell you that i really like this oh no oh no do we have i have to level with you this is this for me is i get where the issues are definitely and there are issues and it's mental and off the wall and not a lot of it makes sense but it is just so out there and so ambitious with what it's trying to do. I can't help but admire it, even in spite of the issues. Are we going to have a disagreement? You don't like this, do you? Is this going to be our first major disagreement? Is this, is this going to be like a really major, like... Because we, we haven't ever really had a, like a major one where we've been at completely polar opposites. We're usually on the same page. Six seasons and a flux, and... We haven't yet had a major disagreement. We can see how this so, goes. So what's your feeling on this? So I can see just how diametrically opposed we are. Um, It's just odd and doesn't seem to know what it's doing with itself. It's kind of got that feeling of... Um, I'm going to let you into a little secret here. Mm, and the listeners of home. Yes. I used to be, around six years ago, heavily into fan fiction. Not yeah. not sexual fan fiction, just standard fan fiction. Yeah, standard fan fiction. There's some really good stuff, and, to be honest. And I would always be there, like, reading away, and then think of, oh, you know what? That's a really good quirk which I could write my own fan fiction about. Only to start writing... Go to start writing it. Realise, one, I cannot write. Two, I've got zero patience for it. And three, my idea doesn't make worth. It isn't a story worth. It's just a fun little. Oh, this would be funny if that happened with no ending. It kind of feels like they had that here, but 
kind of they kind of had points for each episode and kind of just wrote around that to see if that would work and they kind of at the end just went wait none of this stuff is actually connected yet let's just, let's just write a quick story in that last episode <laughs> Let, let's just shove it in there just just so we can say we had a four start part start a five second middle and a massive end that's what it feels like to me. It doesn't. It feels like it was a bunch of ideas. It feels like they had an idea, and then they just went right. So how do we get to that point? On the that, flip side it. of this, on the flip side of this, all of these decisions in the first four episodes, irrespective of whether they make sense or not, do create an interesting vibe. And the vibe stays throughout the whole story, and it's unique, I think, to the mind robber in comparison to other Who stories we've had. It's. It's just very different, and it kind of catches you because you're not sure how all the things connect. The question is obviously whether they actually thought how they connected, and in reality, they probably didn't until that last episode. But it's the fact that for once you don't really know where it's going, and you're sort of just along for the ride with the characters going through this surreal um, environment. When it wraps up in an end, in a way, it almost feels... Oh, that's a shame, because it kind of becomes conventional, whereas the whole rest of the episode is unconventional. But yeah, I think it's very much an acquired taste. It, to me, feels like it's mystery for the sake of mystery. And I I see where you're coming from. I really do. It doesn't seem to have much actually there once you get past the... Oh, this is weird. But I think the things that they do do in those first yeah, episodes do, are do. really inventive, really interesting. They're actually quite ambitious. And I think the production values of this episode are really high. You see, I do agree with well. you. I do agree with you. I love this story. But they only thought about doing that story. Story at the end. In, at the last episode. This would be an amazing story. It's, it, it's, it's sort of like last week's story. Well, this... Idea is amazing. Yeah, it's a phenomenal concept. But they don't know what to do with it. I think they figure it out by the end, but but I agree that it takes probably too long to get to a level where you can progress the story. It's mainly just the Dr. Jamie Zoe are wandering around a mind palace with lots of stuff happening. And it's all cool stuff, but you don't know why. It feels like, as I was saying, it feels like some writer went, it would be a fun idea to have a doctrine track with Rapunzel, <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah that'd be, that'd wouldn't, be it? Hot. wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, we're doing oh, this. We're doing this. It. We're doing this. We're doing this. Yeah, you go, 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 go. And then you, they've done it, and you realise, wait a minute, we've only had Jamie meet her. Wait, wait one second. How do we make this make sense? We've got Rapunzel, <laughs> uh, Ga- Gulliver, and some random children. How do we? How do we line this up to make any sense? Oh, and some toy soldiers. Some toy soldiers here. How does any of? How do we make any of this link up? I don't know. Fuck it. Let's make. Let's put a put a man at the end, and he will just be writing everything. We won't tell anyone why they're doing this bizarre plan to just have a human or the doctor write some fiction, which then becomes reality. We're not going to bother explaining any of that at all. We're just going to have it happen, and then we're going to have some big brain thing explode, and then oh look, we're finished. The ending of this. The ending of this really rushes, especially towards the end. Like, the actual end shot is almost mystical that, that they use that as the end. It's like they cut early. Yeah, it is. But tell you what, you've mentioned, you know, you've mentioned 
some random children and Rapunzel and Lemuel Gulliver. And so listeners are probably thinking, if they haven't heard of this episode, what the flying hell are you talking about? So do you want to synopsize before this we, Before we get into this, just a quick before question. So everyone who they meet in theory is from fiction. Yeah, theoretically. What fiction are for children from? I still haven't worked this out. I still legitimately haven't See, worked this I out. See, was, I was thinking about this, and I haven't actually cross-referenced this, so I may be wrong. But yeah, so disclaimer, I have not cross-referenced this. I think it might be the railway children. Okay. Which would add up. But but now I've said that, I'm going to cross-reference it and see if I was wrong. And while you do that, I'm going to give everyone a synopsis of... Can I give anyone a synopsis to this fucking mess? <laughs> right, let's go. So, they are... The Doctor, Zoe and Jamie are stuck in for love from last season. But So, how are they going out of there? The temperature is rising. They might melt. Don't know if the TARDIS can melt, but we can move on from that. Um, so, the Doctor hesitantly doesn't want to, but he has to press the emergency button to get them somewhere else into a different dimension where they come where they go into a big white vice which has got these really cheaply made robot costumes in and then they kind of get hypnotized for a bit and hypnosis is over we don't really go back to it and we're in the land of words a forest of words where we keep running into random people why are we in this forest of words we don't know we go into a cave we come out of the cave. We see Rapunzel. We go up her her hair. Jamie goes up into her hair. He he adventures around. The Doctor and Zoe joins them eventually, where they meet a man, the storyteller. It's not actually his name. I've just given him the name of the storyteller because it sounds good, and it's probably yeah. better than what they actually called him in the episode. Um, well, they called him the Master, which which initially makes you think, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, so for storyteller, because I prefer the name, is writing fiction and stuff to create a world. We don't know why this is going on. There's later hints which it's going to take over the earth. We don't really know why. We just kind of are. And then they defeat them, and then we go off somewhere else, and then they meet Cybermen, which is actually supposedly a very good story. But that's for next week. But yes, we're leaving that for next week. It is... I mean, even when you hear a synopsis of it, it's hard to get your head around how this episode works because a lot of the parts... I'd say you can divide it into three parts. You you can talk about the first episode, which is kind of a psychological mess, then the two, three, and four, which are all this forest stuff and all the fictional characters, and then five, where they actually have a story, and, and try and make all of the random things they were doing make contextual sense. And they kind of pull it off, but I get that it wasn't really there before. Yeah, so should we talk about our esteemed characters? Our esteemed characters. And then we can probably talk about the fictional characters once we're through our, quote, real characters in this concept. Yes. Where, where would you like to start, actually? Because I think there's interesting things to talk about with all three. Shall we start with arguably the most interesting in this episode, Zoe? Because we haven't, we kind of had her last season, but it, last episode, but it kind of had that feel of when a writer is told last minute, Oh, yeah, we just added in a companion. Mm. So this is our real first time really with Zoe in episode which we've got. And she is so much more active than other characters. She's still got a hint of Scream. But yeah. she is so much more active, quite literally. She's, she fights Kronos, the supervillain hero 
thing which they yeah, have in the there. comic strip from the year 2000 yeah uh, which is hilarious that they thought comic strips would still be around I've, back then i mean in 2000 well, I think they, they are were. yeah i think they were but like they, it wouldn't have been the most dominant no. media form no but it but she actually does stuff and it's so nice to have a character who's actually not just there to scream she's taking an active role in the story and helping it pan out Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of a sliding scale, and I think there are still issues with the way Zoe is portrayed. There's a bit at the start where um, essentially this mind robber thing is trying to convince Jamie and Zoe to leave the TARDIS into wherever they've been pulled into, and he does that by basically persuading them that the TARDIS has landed in their homes. And when it when you see Jamie like look at his home and you hear the bagpipes, it's a really like sweeping emotional moment, and you actually feel like because you've been with Jamie for so long as well, it works. The thing with Zoe is, it's just not as distinctive but, as a backstory, and so it doesn't hit the same. But I also feel like that's just for limitation of for time which they're given to do so. Because exactly. yes, we have that. I don't because bagpipes annoy me and I'm already in Scotland, so I don't really need to hear any more. <laughs> yeah, but they're good. Um, well, sometimes. For, for rising atmosphere of, oh God, his, his, his home. We've had f- two seasons of him talking about his home. We want to see it. But we've only been with Zoe for one episode. I don't think we can expect them to load up the same backstory in that small microsecond, which we've got with, mm. with Jamie. But what it leads to, and this is actually following up from what from your point, is that Zoe as a character is very useful when she understands what's happening because of the time period for me. But because the mind robber is so out there, it doesn't play to Zoe's strengths as a character. So for that, so there's a couple of episodes where she feels very lost, and they kind of to be pull fair, it back. I think on most occasion. of viewers were. Yeah, because she makes a lot of like incomprehensible decisions there's basically a, a gamut running through the whole episode that this master brain attacks the doctor and zoe with fictional characters who are obviously unbeatable and the only way to beat them is to acknowledge the fact they they are fictional to say that they don't exist and zoe just decides on occasion without any reasoning to suddenly decide oh this one's real even though she's been through this whole doesn't exist test three or four times but to be fair the doctor also does that the Doctor at one point does, but that, to be fair, is because he has no idea who the character is. Yeah, but does Zoe know who these characters are? Well, you would think so, because I think the difference... The only time the Doctor doesn't know, it's Zoe who bails him out because it's from the future and Zoe knows that. Which is actually a really good bit of writing, gives Zoe something to do. Um, and makes her active. But the other ones are all based in mythology. Mm. And sort of classic literature, which even in the future they know because it's classic literature. You'd think, anyway. I, know, I, I, I just feel like the entire thing of going, I know your fiction, when you were quite obviously terrified of this thing, doesn't work because you might be saying you think it's fiction. I, might, I, I could say right here which James is the most beautiful being on earth. Hmm, it's because he can't see me. The camera's not on. But that doesn't make it true. And I still don't think it's true. No, no. offence, James. <laughs> so, you have to, so all you have to do is acknowledge that I'm not the most beautiful man alive. And then I will stop being that. Yeah, it just... it To me, feels like they, they had loads of situations that they couldn't quite work out how to get the Doctor and go out of it. So they just went, oh, fuck it, let's just say which they're not fiction when we're free. 
Yeah, because this starts in, there's a cliffhanger. Is it? Is it part two they have this cliffhanger with the unicorn or part three? Part two. Part two, yeah, I thought it was. Where they start using this, oh, it doesn't exist, so it can't hurt me thing. And then it becomes almost the thing that happens all the time, which does make things a little less inventive. And it also just removes any of the atmosphere. Because aside from the time when Je- when the Doctor doesn't and and Zoe doesn't, we're always just kind of there just going, just say which they don't exist. Yeah, it creates such an easy out that when they don't use the easy out, it feels annoying. Because there's lots of times when instead of using the easy out, which he's done before, Zoe just starts screaming that it's real, screaming that it's real, and going back into female companion a la infinitum mode. And so that can be frustrating. I like the way Zoe's done here, and she's more active than other female companions. She's easily in the top lot, just from the strength of these two episodes. But there are still some issues that need to be worked out with her, for me. Yeah. I think more consistency. I think we're we're off to a good start with her. Yeah, it, it, we are off to a good start. It's a shame we only get one season, because I do quite like her. Yes. Where do you want to go next? That's probably Jamie, if we've, yeah. if we've talked about Zoe. Shall we, shall we move on to the wonderful Scottish Jamie? The wonderful Scottish Jamie, who feels really back in this episode for me. Yes. There's, he's, he spends a lot of time on his own, um, which is great, because you can get to see his problem-solving brain. Yes. Come in and him in- him interacting with anything is always gold because frankly the thing he's interacting with has no idea what to make of him all the time. Yes. So you get this really interesting back and forth. Yeah, he it's it's typical good old Jamie. It, it you love being in his company. Even when his face changes, you still love being with him. <laughs> yes, now this is, this is I, I, I feel like we need to have a proper conversation about how clever this is. Because I assume that the reason this, this thing was done was because Fraser Hines was on holiday for a week. No. No? It was actually a short-term problem. It was actually a really short-notice problem which they had to try to solve. So what was the short-notice problem? Just so I know the context of why they did this. Um, he got chicken pox. Oh! Yeah, so he couldn't actually go on set to record it, and it was like, it wasn't yeah, like... Yeah, was contagious. It wasn't like a planned thing, like a holiday, where they can sort of, like, plan to write the character out completely. It's almost even better, actually, that you've said it was short-term. Yeah. Because what, uh, what they do... Sorry, carry on, Owen. Yeah, so it's, they essentially just get in a different actor to play him, and it's, like, really smoothly done. Yeah, the, the, the concept they run, and it is genuinely brilliant, is Jamie gets sort of frozen... And then in this mind illusion world where these things can just happen, don't question it, um, his face is taken off him. And then the doctor is asked to reconstruct Jamie McCrimmon's face in bits. And he gets it wrong. <laughs> and he gets it wrong twice as well. Like, he only, totally wrong. He only does it right for the second time because Zoe's there going, no, doctor, that is wrong. You do realise that you're a yeah, bloody no, idiot. Yeah, you have no idea what faces look like. Because yeah. the first one, we just get another Scottish actor. And, it, and it's really fun. Um, it's actually a, f- a f- friend of Fraser Hines. That's why. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why they got. He's v- called his mate in. Yeah, that's why the mannerisms of Fraser Hines are actually quite good. It's because it's his friend. Yeah, we have to give credit to that actor because it does feel like Jamie, even though it's a completely different actor voice. He just makes it Jamie. Yeah. It's a remarkable concept and it runs for like a good episode. Um, and you don't feel like it, like Owen was saying, it's a really smooth transition to this. And so it's one of the cleverest things I've actually seen on since doing this podcast. That really is clever. Yeah. 
I like the fact that they had it continue for a little bit of the episode after. I think it was episode three. When yeah, it goes on for a was better. Minutes, doesn't it? It goes on this bit better until Jamie, until they once again turn him into a cardboard cutout. And then they then fix it again. And it's not just a case of we end episode two and we go into episode three and oh look it's Jamie. And it's just better, yeah. We actually, no, they actually make it make sense. We actually have a story reason why it happens, which you can definitely see them doing the cheap way out of this and just going, Oh look, it's Jamie. Yeah, but actually they sort of make that make sense because there's a difference in how they solve it, because now Zoe's there, that's why it can be right. And it gives Zoe something better in the character because it means that Zoe has an eye for these things and we understand that she's probably got more of a compassionate mind who remembers faces and things, whereas the Doctor's more about facts. So you get an interesting contrast between the two. It's just like, it, throughout this episode, there's nice story decisions that happen all the time. Little character moments. And then, is it a, yeah, for the rest of JB, it's mainly just him having fun. He gets to meet Rapunzel and flirt with her. That's good fun. He laughs around. Yeah. It's nothing new for Jamie, but it's what we like. Yeah, and it's what we like, but done well, which is yeah. sometimes... There's no bizarre love story subplot. There's no... No, I'm really happy about that. Jamie and Zoe clearly care about each other, and it's shown because Zoe's able to remember his face, but it's not done in that overly um, kind of uh, smarmy and a little bit overly cutesy Victoria way, where it just felt like the love story took over the entire narrative for both characters. So this is a lot better for me. Uh, and then what about what about Troughton? He does his thing. He's he, the Doctor here is obviously having fun. It's all of the old stories which he's like to, which he's read over or visited over the years, and he's having fun, fun playing around with the characters. He's enjoying himself there. Let's be honest here. The Doctor is having oh, fun. Oh, he definitely is. And and it comes across because for me this is one of my favourite Troughton episodes for Troughton himself because I think it really plays to what that Doctor's strengths are. Yeah. Because, you know, we know that he's quite playful, he's got a brilliant mind and he's quirky and, and he knows how to solve problems. And this whole episode is essentially a battle of wits between the master brain, which can go toe-to-toe with the Doctor and give him these riddles and mental challenges that he is able to solve, but are obviously challenging and push him to the limit where you do think what's going on. Because as a viewer, you're trying to solve the problems yourself as well. So you're quite involved, even though there's not much of a story, you're quite involved in this kind of... You're almost going through the levels of the game. And Battle of Wits story has always been some of my favourite on Who. It reminds me a bit of Time Meddler, in a way. Yeah. Where you had the other Time Lord, the Monk, and Hartnell and him are going back and forth with a series of tests. Uh, this is more formalised, but it plays to a lot of Troughton's strengths. And I think it's really fun. And it reminds me how good this Doctor can be. Yeah, and all of these all of these great things we're mentioning is just destroyed by the fact which is really good with its characters. But then the story kind of shits itself. The the story does a little bit, but it has interesting parts, which I think are worth talking about, which is there are a couple of fictional characters that I think are worth having a chat about, just because it's quite cleverly done. How's the chicken cross the road? <laughs> to get to the other side. If I remember some of the other riddles. Yeah. Uh, what can you make of a sword is a good one. Rearrange it. Words. 
words. Um, well, there's the when is a door not a door one. Not that that was children related. Um, there was also for pinch me one, but I've completely forgotten for names of for people. Oh yeah, they just pinch it. I did cross reference the children thing, by the way, while you were doing the stops. Yeah. yeah, they're just random children. Oh, of course, <laughs> they are just random Victorian children. Cool. So they were just randomly in there for no good reason. Like most of this story, were hey? Yeah, not really. I think it's me trying to find justification for it. But to be fair, there's a lot of Victorian literature with random, annoying children. So I suppose you could go with the generic literary children approach. No, but it just feels lazy because there are plenty of children who they could have gone with and it would have yeah, been fine. But it just feels like they went, oh, we need to confuse people a little bit more. We're here. There's adding some random children. We're not going to explain any content behind why they're children here, but they're just here. So we're going to <laughs> shove them in there. And then we're just going to have them tell random rhymes and be generally just a pain in the back. So, and then we're just going to have them go, pinch me, pinch me, pinch me. Oh, pinching, 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 pinching. And then we're just going to have them throw around swords for no reason and then books and then, well, hey... Children with swords, not good. If there's anything you want to take away from this episode, a little PSA. But one thing the children do do, and a lot of the characters do, is they create this unsettling atmosphere, which I think is the strength of the episode deep down, is that the atmosphere is totally unique. And you do find, at least for me, I found myself getting really into the world, which I haven't done in a lot of pre, in a lot of the Proughton stories, to be honest, because they felt very similar. You have the base under siege thing over and over again, and this is just totally out there and, and a different it, take. It is different. I will give it that, but I just feel like it's done so lazily. It feels like we're just having mystery there for the sake of being it being mysterious. We're not having really having anything fun to connect the ideas from like the word forest to the cave. We're just going, going mm. oh, no, no, they're, they're just kind of a vice as well. We're just kind of there just going, oh, no, we, we, they're in the same place. Like the entire yeah. first episode didn't need to exist. No, the first episode's very much detached from the, the story. Uh, I like the way that, while I admit it's not connected and it isn't perfect in the script sense, it isn't, I do like how it all adds up to create a feeling more so than other episodes do. And like the, the production values aid with that and things like making Jamie a different actor with the cool face thing and Rapunzel just showing up for no reason and all of these kind of dissonant things that are combining in shots like there's that shot of the TARDIS breaking up which I think is brilliant like it's a really brilliant yeah. bit of visual invention so and you get all these ambitious things it's, it's really enjoyable so you mentioned production values let's, let's just go on to that quickly yeah what the fuck has happened between last season and this season with making up costumes hmm like we criticised the eyebrow because we thought they were a bit ropey yeah. But their costuming was amazing. Yeah, brilliant, really. Why do we now suddenly have robots, which is like, they just went, oh, I don't know, they've got a box of cardboard and some tubings, let's just staple it on. Oh, yeah, there are robots in this episode, and they fully look awful. And for same with the toy soldiers, it feels like they, the costuming department just went out on strike for this episode, and they just kind of got some everyone else on the crew to kind of attempt to make some costumes. I'm actually not fully sure with that because it's kind of a mixed bag more than anything. The robots are rubbish, but I think the toy soldiers is a cool idea and they didn't really have to go too far with that in terms of the costuming. And also Gulliver, which is probably worth chat, is really well costumed. 
and very accurately done. Yeah, but feet, actual costumes of uh, robots and feet, abnormal human characters, let's put it that way, for robots. Yeah. And also this bit of Medusa. They just look so ropey. Yeah, the Medusa one is... <sighs> like, for, for the effect with, her hair, with Medusa's hair moving, that was cool. Yeah, I like that they went to the effort of doing it. Yes, it looks ropey. That's because they did it in the 60s. I, um, I don't... They went to the effort. I mean, like, Medusa's supposed to be a, stan- a normal woman, isn't she, in mythology? Mm. Why does she yeah, look like a statue? She, because she was turned into a statue at the end of the story. So then when she transformed into... Because a, she looked herself. ...into a normal human. Why didn't she transfer into a normal human? Uh, because it's a mental test. It was meant to almost say that well, Medusa shouldn't be able to do that, and therefore it can't exist. But then that doesn't. It, there's ex- a lot. Like, yeah, I know. There's a lot of the don't exist thing that kind of is used to justify things where it shouldn't really be. I think, yeah, like you were saying before, there's a lot of things that happen in this episode that are designed to be cool without them really thinking about why they should be in the episode, which which I'm totally with you on. But in separation, those bits are really cool. Are we then just saying, essentially having a story full of shiny things, going, oh, look, that's a nice shiny thing, but without really having a look and noticing which is just loads of turds? <laughs> I, I can't disagree with you, but it does create a mood that I that I enjoy. And I know I'm basically saying that the reason I like this episode is vibes, which I know is not a strong argument. What is happening here? It's supposed to be me who's going on about vibes and, oh, this was very enjoyable. Yeah, no, and, this and is the scriptwriter just talking, yeah, but the vibes and, are there. And you're supposed to be the scriptwriter who goes, oh, yes, this was terrible technically, but I agree with you, which it was fun. We're not getting any I of that. We're, we're just getting, we're just getting <laughs> oh, I like the shiny stuff. <laughs> I agree with you on the fact that the shiny stuff is not script justified and it shouldn't really be there. But I can't help but admire the fact that they went to the effort of trying it and it does feel ambitious and some of it comes off in a way. And so I did find myself enjoying the episode in spite of its issues, which is, I think, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Is that because it goes to those places where I think we've had a lot of these formulaic Who stories recently where you're where I don't feel like it's really pushing the like the limits of what a Who episode can be, whereas this one really does think, okay, well, how far can we push the boat out? What can we try and do here? And does it all come off? No, but they tried it. And, and so it results in being quite good fun. But yeah, in a sense, I agree with you and I disagree with you at the same time for different reasons. I'm also supposed to be the annoying centrist one who never has a solid opinion. What's going on? We're just we're just flipping about have, this, have, have, this episode. Have you robbed my mind? <laughs> We've robbed each other's minds. That's the whole. You've worked it out, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Here's the twist. I am Owen Cranston. <laughs> but we're not going to at all discuss why or how that's happened. We're just going to say it's happened and move on. <laughs> oh look! Oh look! 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 Here comes the toy show soldiers. <laughs> oh, if I if I say if I say that you don't exist, will you just stop like being on the recording? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going, it's falling apart. <laughs> Owen has just fully yeeted himself out of my camera shot. <laughs> oh, God. Oh goodness me. Um, 
Yeah, there's there's still a few things I do think are worth talking yeah, about. Yeah, sure. They're kind of on the same level, but Gulliver is something I wanted to chat yes. about, but big time. Because the other fictional characters are nicely brought in, but it doesn't feel like they're really adding something other than to be there. Like Rapunzel's there to, you know, be like, oh, we recognise Rapunzel because you, you know what that is quite quickly. And the same with uh, the comic strip character. We, we It's pretty established very quickly. That's a fictional character. With the mythological ones, same thing because people know Greek mythology, so there's not much you can do. With Gulliver, th- they try and make him real for a while and it's a, a different approach and it really works because I think he adds so much to the episode with his nature and it makes you question a lot of things and it adds to the unsettling tone yeah I I do find it interesting how they initially went off with the oh this guy is also trapped in the word forest that added yeah and he's just a guy that was pulled out of his own time and then they eventually discover which he is a fictional character but it then just kind of goes into the, oh, we're doing these cheap tricks here just to confuse the audience. Yeah, I agree that towards the end of the Gulliver thing that it loses that aesthetic and he kind of morphs into the background of just here are all the fictional characters, particularly in the end, which we'll go into. Um, but in that sort of episode two and three, I love the fact that he just turns up in scenes where he really has no right to be. And his dialogue is is so... The fact is that the dialogue for Gulliver is actually pulled from Gulliver's travels, all of it. And it's one of the most out, outlandish things I've ever seen to actually go through a historical work and only pick out lines. And the result is he is talking utter nonsense but it's all, but it sometimes it repeats and sometimes it, it kind of does it in an off kilter way because there's not really a line that matches up for what the master brain wants him to say because he can only say the fictional lines. It's, I, I very rarely say this, but that decision, irrespective of how it works, is genius. It adds so much to the episode, even though by the end it didn't really need to be in the story. But it adds to the vibe again. Yeah. It's just little detail like that when you think these writers and the, and the, costume designers the production designers have gone through the effort to make this as engaging as possible and you, they did not need to because that is a lot of effort yeah it, he was good while he was a unique character yeah but yeah once they figure it out i'm with you it kind of loses its sheen i like the fact which they had it where he couldn't see the other people like the toy soldiers oh, yeah, i forgot about that that's, that's a really cool detail that adds when we thought he was just a standard guy in this world, it kind of added an element of all people are seeing specific things part based on their experiences and their mm. childhood, maybe, or childhood stories. Yeah. But then that interesting potential character arc and t- potential interesting characterization is just gone again once we get to the end I part. Think, I think you can view those decisions kind of in both ways because you can view it in the sense of okay, well, they're, they're dangling this idea in front of us, but you don't really explore it, it doesn't go anywhere. You think, oh, well, that's a wasted opportunity. But at the same time, you can view it and go, while you're in that stage of the story, when those things are coming at you, it adds to the mystery aspect and it does keep you involved. And it keeps guessing. So I think you can view it in both directions. And I think both opinions, whether you like that or don't like that, are correct. It's just depending on what you're looking for and how you justify it. Because like like we're saying, Paul, there's a lot of the fictional characters that by the end of the episode, it, they kind of become an important and they're just sort of there. 
and they feel very backgroundy and very formulaic, which is unfortunate. But in the build up to it, they don't, and it continues to add to this off kilter. We're not sure what's going to be around the corner feeling, which we we haven't got in Who episodes in ages for me. Yeah. Now, before we get on, to, so imagine we've just about talked through everything we want to talk about for this episode, starting for the ending. Yeah, prob- probably the last thing's the ending. Yeah, I everything just else is good. To mention one thing, because we're on about production design and set design, all that kind of stuff. Let's go back to our first episode here. This is main. This is essentially. It feels like a bottle episode within an episode within a story. Yeah. It. It's. We spent most of the time on the TARDIS, or this solid white vice set which is just mm. supposedly infinite nothingness yeah infinite nothingness. however one thing which annoyed me about this is that they clearly couldn't afford to do it properly on the bbc budget and you could clearly no. see where the walls transition to the floor and it irritated me so much and again this could look so cool but they couldn't be bothered yeah i mean if you did it it's a shame really because it kind of goes both ways again, where if they did that today, like with today's modern production values, we'd just do it on a white background. Yeah. And it'd be simple. It'd be a high-definition 4K shot, and it and it would look lovely. But I suppose because it was done at a much older time where that was more difficult, and they've used this kind of misty effect, and it has this more authentic feeling to it, even though yeah. it doesn't look as... But it, but it, again, it's like it adds to the vibe of the story. But generally, that first episode as well just doesn't go anywhere, and we kind of set no. off with this all mystery, all what's in the vibes. They're trying to make people think they're trying to hypnotize our companions. Yeah, it feels like I remember when we had. Uh, it's a little bit edge of destructiony, actually, because uh, uh, because there's that first episode of Edge of Destruction where everyone's just feeling weird and in pain. It's similar to that. Yeah. Because they, the whole thing is that the um, the master brain is playing tricks on the characters, and then he's trying to get into people's head, like he's having a mental fight with the doctor, trying to take over his brain, and so they do that by just sort of launching these high frequency noises at you, which works because they had no money, presumably, to do it, but can feel repetitive and like you say the story doesn't go anywhere in this episode other than to get them into this mind palace place. But they also didn't. They could have just had fit them take off from the um, lava and then the dodges explode and we're instantly in the word forest. Yeah, like, I, I think because it's a cool idea in the sense that they had to... Because they get out of the volcanic explosion from the Dominators by going into like the nothingness, essentially, yeah. right, into the void. Yeah, look at me using modern Who terminology. <laughs> into the void. Disappointing. But it, it kind of stems down to the thing which this episode has a general problem of, of going, well, this is a cool concept. Now, how do we get ourselves out of here? Mm. And then just trying to work out the best way to get to the next cool concept without really putting much thought into the pathway there. I think what's funny about this conversation is, and if there's any long-time listeners that, that are listening to this, please let, please let us know if, if I'm right here is I genuinely think we've had a conversation about an episode before, or even multiple episodes, where we've literally been arguing diametrically opposite ends of the fence on concepts. I think I've been on episodes saying, oh yeah, it's a cool concept, but it doesn't go anywhere, which is exactly what Owen's saying. I'm fairly and sure, yet now I'm doing the complete opposite thing. I'm fairly sure we had a similar discussion around Power of the Dark, because I found that story really fun and interesting, and you just went, eh, it's there. Yeah. 
I think what I'm trying to say is, long-time listeners, please try and out me as a massive hypocrite. And if you can out me as a massive hypocrite, then uh, tweet us at Black Archive Pod, because I'm pretty sure I'm being a hypocrite. Um, so let's talk about the ending quickly. Yeah. The ending... So what happens is, um, eventually, the Doctor seeks... Um, seeks an audience with the with the master as he's the known and the master turns out to be the storyteller f- fucking fine it's a better um, name it is a better name but it's just not the name they gave him uh, and the storyteller is a prominent english writer from 1926 <laughs> who who is who is being used as like a vessel to, to power the master i don't get how that makes any sense um, but he's just there essentially i think for logic goes the master brain wanted to use creativity, but they realised that they can't do it themselves because they were too logical, too mechanical. So they had to outsource it to a really creative and ingenious device, which is the human brain. And instead mm. of going all, uh, you know, what's what's the episode called? Keys of Mariners, where they have brains in a jar. Instead of doing that with the human, yeah. um, we've just kind of strapped the human in with probes and gone, do your thing. Yeah, and so he he acts like he's in control of the facility when it's very, very clear that he isn't, that he's being used. Um, It turns out that all of the random uh, fictional characters coming out of walls and weird riddles and reconstruction of faces is all a test to essentially work out the Doctor's mental aptitude by the writer from 1926, who now wants the Doctor to replace him, and he absolutely wants to get out of this mess. Yeah. Which is a good motivation, so can't criticise that. But then we're never given motivation of why the master brain, the thing behind him, the big ingenious thing which has put us all in this situation, why it's put us in this situation. No, the only thing is that there's sort of a vague threat of taking over the Earth. That kind of feels, to me, it felt more like a... Oh, we're doing our thing, doing our thing, doing our thing. Oh, look, the Doctor's appeared... We can now <laughs> massively change our plan and take over the planet, take over the Earth. Like, what, pre-we know, us knowing the Doctor existed, what was the plan here? Yeah, it's utterly unmotivated. It's a big, it's a big old hole. In that, that doesn't really make sense. And that's why I would actually say that episode five, even though it's got the most story and it feels like a story... It's probably the weakest because the story decisions they take there aren't good and aren't motivated well. Yeah, it it all just feels like they had a web of ideas and they kind of went to themselves, oh, how do we connect this all together? Let's do this in the last part. This last part doesn't make much sense. Uh, screw it, it's connected up all of our parts. Yeah, because they figure out the, the, the way they try and pull it all together is that by the end, the, the master brain, which is this writer from England in 1926 is essentially able to write what happens with the fictional characters. And so by the time he writes it, the fiction becomes a reality, effectively. And then they turn Jamie and Zoe into fiction, which is <laughs> definitely not odd because they're already fiction, but let's not mention that. Yeah, the fiction became even more fiction. Yeah. Was that an opportunity to do something meta, maybe? Maybe they missed something there. I think they missed a lot of opportunities with this story. <laughs> And and then the Doctor has to basically outwit by writing better fiction, which will then outwit his fiction. And then all of a sudden, D'Artagnan shows up and all sorts of other characters are just being wheeled in by these two guys who know fiction and literature. I've worked out what this episode is. 
<laughs> Have you? It's Doctor Who by Cameo. We've got all the cameos, but how do they connect? Hmm. Trying to think, what was the most like cameo-laden season of Who that we've had? I think this must be it so far of old Who. We've oh yeah, definitely in terms of what we watched. I'm thinking more in terms of like modern Who to try and get because it sort of reminds like there was season four when Rose was always showing up or. But all that stuff have made sense within the story. This kind of feels like they they started off with the idea of having cameos and then went. Now, how do we make a story out of this? <laughs> I can imagine the writers when they're doing that last episode, literally just throwing ideas at the wall, and then whoever else is in the room just going, "Yeah, fuck it, that sounds that sounds like fun. Throw that in there. We can get someone in a musketeer's outfit." Yeah, it- on Blackbeard shows up as well because Blackbeard is inherently more dangerous than D'Artagnan in the eyes of that writer. I've worked out what it is. I've done it. Yeah. They went through the BBC um, costumes department pre-made <laughs> costumes. <laughs> they just sort they And had. then they just went, oh, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Right, how do, <laughs> how do we connect together Gulliver and Blackbeard? Yeah, and there's just a and guy. And we had our story. Got, I've got a revolutionary thought, lads. And that, and that pretty much sums up the story. Um it's it's the mind robber is a five part story you can take either way either you'll really enjoy it for the mood or you won't enjoy it because undercutting the mood are a series of quite vague ideas yeah it the entire thing just feels like they got told do this include this and then we can see where we get it's not i don't think it's that good but you know, yeah, whereas I can't help but enjoy it, and, yeah. I, and I found myself taking along for the ride. It's definitely worth a watch. I think is one thing we can agree on. It's worth going through to, just to form your own opinion on it, even if that isn't a good opinion, because it is some weird stuff going on, and you don't get this in other Who stories. Yeah. So shall we wrap this up then? Because I think we've I think so. reached the end of our random thought process. Yeah. Out yeah. of how 10. do you want to rank this? Yeah, what's your ranking? Because I, I want to see what the low, the lower end of the scale is. Because I have a feeling I'm going higher than you. Four. Four. Wow. It just isn't, but I, but I do see your there point. Just isn't any story there? Like it just feels like we're just along for a ride for a gallivant into into store into random story characters. For the entire story, we don't really have a middle and the end. We have a quick shock of, <laughs> oh, Victoria, Zoe even has gone gone into for a door, which is. A jar. <laughs> it reminds me of... Did you ever watch Lost? No. So, so like, Lost was a, was a show where the whole thing was, ooh, this is a big mystery. How do we solve the mystery? But instead of getting answers, J.J. Abrams and co. just sort of layered on more questions over and over again. And by the end, they had no way to fix it. And so the solution was really sort of cack-handed and half-arsed. And it didn't really solve anything. And there was a lot of unanswered questioning, which made you think, well, why did we watch seven seasons of the show? And this is kind of like that, where they just think, we don't really have a solution yet. Well, let's just add another layer of mystery and we'll keep it going. And then by the time we solve it, it doesn't really feel overly satisfying. It's a cool solution in this episode, but it doesn't satisfy all of the things they set up. 
That being said, I'm still giving this a seven. So I'm going to get hate. I know. I know that's high. It's because I couldn't help but enjoy it. It was a likeable, watchable episode, which I thought was inventive. It's visually interesting. The production values are there. It's fun to watch. Even though the moment you think about it, it pretty much falls apart. This e- but I couldn't help but enjoy it. This end of season special is going to be interesting. I, I genuinely would say that like, it's the most fun I've had watching a Who episode since Evil of the Daleks. To be fair, last season was a bit r- rubbish. Uh, and uh, Evil of the Daleks isn't particularly good, but it is hella fun. So, sorry for a bit of a shorter one this time round. We were in a bit of a rush, but... I hope we got across all of our thoughts on this story. So if you... Which I think we did. If you enjoy our random natterings on about old Doctor Who, feel free to... Subscribe? I've completely forgot the correct podcasting <laughs> word there. I think, it is, I think it's subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe yeah. wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a ranking. And please, let us know how we're going. James, over uh, to yes, you for social yeah. parts. That's fine. The algorithm will love us if you do review it. Uh, So if you do feel like doing that, please do. It'll help us out. Uh, And if you do want to get in touch with us, let me know if I'm a hypocrite or anything else. Honestly, I'm to be honest, you could let me know if I'm a hypocrite all the time, regardless of this reason. Um, Then you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Black Archive Pod. That's all one word. And you can email us as well if you prefer sending out a longer form thought. Uh, That is blackarchivepod at gmail.com, all lowercase one word. So thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a good day. I'm off to drink more tea. Uh, And yeah, I'm probably going to do the same, to be honest. We'll see you when we see you next. See you for the invasion. The Simon are back, taking over the streets of London. See you next time.